Welcome to episode 68 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha. Hello. And on this podcast, we explore what it means to live with less stuff and more compassion. And in this episode, we're going to be looking in the realm of intentionality in the context of work. We spend so much of our time, of our lives, working and there's a huge shift that's happening around the world at the moment. And we thought... It would be interesting to share our reactions to some of these statistics that are coming out and and also give you guys a peek um, into our lives and to some of our thoughts in terms of how we're preparing for the future of automation and work from home and the pandemic. Digital nomading. Digital nomads and all these changes that's happening in our global marketplace. So this is a, a very juicy topic where we've consumed a lot of content in the last 24 hours around this and we're quite shocked um, but unsu- not surprised at the same time. I think I'm more shocked just because we actually live in a little bit of a bubble ourselves yeah. so we're not really um, surrounded by this as much as many other people are and depending on which country you're in it might be more at the forefront for you than it is for others. Yes. So for us we're kind of at the moment with a you know have a bubble within a bubble yeah so um that's probably why it was a little bit more shocking than it might be for some of you because you might actually be living this right now or you understand it or you might be like us and you know just not be all over it and are plugged into what's going on should be a very interesting conversation it should be <laughs> Um, but before we get on, I'd want to um, address our last episode uh, because it's been a, quite a popular episode so far where we shared 15 lessons that we learned in, in seven years of being vegans. And uh, we had a lot of fun recording that episode and uh, I made a bold claim that I hadn't experienced any vegan-friendly Chinese food in the seven years of being vegan, which Marsha challenged me on air. And I still don't believe I have. But we got quite a few emails and DMs from people giving examples, or just surprised, like shocked. How yeah. you not? Like it's one of it's the easiest thing to veganize. Yeah, in um, the, and in, and in hence a... hence why I shared it because I myself was shocked that yeah. you know somebody who really loves you know basically any type of Asian cuisine hadn't experienced an exclusive Chinese sort of vegan friendly restaurant. So. That's why I shared it. But um, it's really nice to see that people have access to some of those eateries in their local area. So I just want to acknowledge those people. And yes, I know it should be more common, but just where I've traveled in the world and where I've lived, you know, I haven't experienced it much. I have in the sense that it's been part of a larger menu where it's a combination of different styles of um, food in Asia, but not specifically Chinese. Mm. Yeah. Like, let's talk about the future of work. But just before we get into that, just a quick note from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Warren, a brand that's by women for women. Warren is a Copenhagen company owned by two sisters, Arena and Anya Warren. They have a passion for life in the slow lane and both share an enthusiasm for sustainable underwear and everyday essentials. They believe that most things can be fixed with a good attitude and some comfy clothes that don't compromise on style and feeling amazing. The last thing you want is your underwear riding up and the bra chafing or trying to suffocate you. I'm sure I'm not the only one that would normally take my bra off the second I'd walk in the door. Not with these bras. They've seriously become my new favourite. Their aim is to create lingerie that will always be the first thing you want to put on and the last thing you want to take off. Warren don't use any toxic chemicals, dyes or any metal wiring in their products. At the core of Warren, there's a strong respect for the people they work with and the environment they work within. We have a special offer for our listeners, giving you 15% off storewide using the discount code MINIMALISTVEGAN at checkout. That's 15% off. Terms and conditions apply. They've also just opened up for worldwide shipping. To learn more about Warren and their full range, visit warrenstore.com. That's W-O-R-O-N store.com. Now back to the show. Okay. Uh, I've got a question for you. Yes. So let's say you're you're back in, in primary school mm. and now on top of English and mathematics, you need to learn... Java, CSS, HTML, 
what is it? Code. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that as your Why future? Are you surprised that I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, so of course you do. You you work on the internet, but um, what, like, how would you feel? Fine, because obviously that's the way that the future's going, and if you're looking at the trends of where the jobs are at and what people are valuing and how technology is progressing then, you know, most kids these days have a mobile. Most kids these days have a laptop or have access to a laptop and a computer. Obviously, around the world is slightly different, but I don't know if most children spend a bit of time at school on the computer. We hardly did when we were in primary school. So I think that it's just adapting to the times and, you know, especially after what we watched, it makes a lot of sense. I think it would be silly not to implement those things i think it would be a little bit backwards for them not to start teaching children code yeah and this raises the question okay why why would i ask you a question like this because when you look at the the workforce at the moment and 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 we're going to get into what a lot of calling the great resignation in a moment uh where there's a mass exodus of people leaving the workforce around the world for various reasons but before that we've gone through cycles of history leveraging machines and technology to help us be more efficient in delivering goods and services around and the world. And effective, you know. Yeah. What machines can do sometimes, you know, in a 24-hour period, humans just can't. So I think it's important to know that it's productivity, it's efficiency, but it's also just the output that, that's not humanly possible. Yeah, you're right. Machines are incredibly efficient at producing and getting things done particularly when they're programmed well and we've seen this from the innovation of vehicles to planes to equipment on farms you know machines and factories we've seen it across the board and now more to recent times we're seeing cashiers being replaced by self-checkout we're seeing record times and delivery services we're seeing apps like uber and airbnb change the way we commute and where we can go and stay for accommodation and the list goes on and on and on and um you know automation is is only picking up more steam but i suppose like if even if you look back at at history you know even from 1990 to 2007 is one one study estimates that 400,000 jobs were lost to automation in u.s factories so we've come out of these situations before and it's happening now and it's going to continue to happen we've seen we watched a documentary the other day about self-driving trucks and, and the potential impact that it might have on the trucking industry. For example, we're seeing that some machines can conduct surgery with absolute precision. And I think even you made a comment when we were watching that, like you, you wouldn't trust a self-driving truck, but you probably would trust a machine to do surgery on you, mm. uh, which is really fascinating to me. Mm. Why is that? Well... Self-driving trucks, I don't know, just something so big and powerful on the road. And if there is a glitch in the system or I think I went to a dark place when I mentioned that if people wanted to hack, they could easily start hacking trucks and start crashing them and causing a lot of chaos. And I don't know, like... A lot of truck drivers take a lot of pride in their jobs and I don't think that there is, I don't know, I'm assuming here, I don't think that there is a shortage of truck drivers and I don't know why that's something that you would want to automate in many ways. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable or safe being on a road looking up at a truck and there being nobody inside it, you mm. know. And if there is somebody inside it, they might as well be driving it rather than it being completely automated. Mm. It just didn't quite make sense to me. I can understand that if, you know, if they have a time pressure and the truck driver just needs like an hour break or just to not be as alert as they would have to be, that I can understand. So it's kind of integrated with their current mm. job, but not completely taking it over. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think the theory is like the same as like autopilot on a plane, right? Yeah. It's, see, again, it's, I don't know if I'd step on that plane. Well, yeah, like it allows a pilot team to take a bit of a break. Oh, I see what you mean already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. What, what we're seeing now. It's like a, yeah. an assistance as yeah. such, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I mean, I feel like there's less 
but you would for surgery but yeah (laughs) i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but for surgery yeah i think i would it would seem like machines would do a much i've just heard a lot of stories where operations have gone wrong and botched jobs by surgeons not to say that all of them are like that and not to say the majority of them are like that but I feel that a machine will have more precision and can get into areas where doctors might struggle to or you know when they're cutting things or stitching things up I just feel like it would be done more precisely yeah and, and not to mention that humans are dependent on their memory, like manually trying to tap into their memory whilst machines have all this data at all times mm. that they can act on. I mean, again, it's like at the moment there already is machines introduced into mm. surgery and I think in some ways there's actually more surgeons in the room. Yeah. But they're obviously introducing them because it's of benefit. Yes. You know, that they're seeing that there is a reason that they should use them and that it does a better job and they have a better success rate of the surgery going well. So I think there'll be more integration happening, which, you know, there already is. Yeah, and, and I think you've made a touch on a really good point. It's like, you know, it's really easy to get into this cycle of fear of like the robots are literally going to completely take over mm. roles where the argument presented is, well, no, it's actually where you work side by side with AI or technology uh, together to mm. achieve better outcomes, mm. to provide more value for the world. And it's interesting when I look at this stat here that the workforce is automating faster than expected, displacing 85 million jobs in the next five years. In the US? Sorry, this is worldwide. Oh, okay. Yep. But the robot revolution will create 97 million new jobs, but communities most at risk from disruption will need support from businesses and governments. Okay, 85 million jobs lost, but 97 million uh, newly created jobs as a result of this. So that to me shows that there's a huge reshuffle in skills and skill acquisition that's bubbling in the background here, which when we talk about our own personal approach to these changes, we're going to break that down a little bit more. But I think it should give us some level of confidence that through all these technological advancements that it's not necessarily about taking away roles that actually new roles being created as it advances society um but now how that serves everybody in the world um you know in all different situations and all different skill sets is another story altogether when that gets a bit more political and economic and i think it's also you know i can understand that some people fear of losing their job if their job is can be fairly automated by a machine Mm. you know and then for them it's like well this job was for me to be able to put food on my table and pay my bills Mm. and now that machines are taking over that job what will i have to do which you just mentioned skilling up what will i have to do to be able to to do that so i think it's important for people to start adjusting themselves now rather than later And like when we've thought and talked about this before, I've always been completely against it because for me, it's like doomsday robots taking over the world. You know, everyone either has a personal robot or everywhere you go, there's just robots. There's no humans. And that to me just doesn't, I don't know, you kind of lose touch with reality and it just doesn't feel like the real world anymore. And so I think that there's a lot of movies where they show you a glimpse of what that might look like. But in many ways, that's, if anything, that's a long way away in in my view. I think this integration and doing roles that I think are relatively normal and okay will be replaced by automation or by robots. Oh, you mean like more straightforward yeah, Tasks. it's not It's not going to be like a robot that sits there typing on a computer talking to you and, you know, like all of those movies where it's like you can't tell the difference between a human and a robot. Yeah, yeah. That's not what we're talking about, Yeah, you know, and I don't, I don't know, I just don't feel like that's going to go down well with people. Um, yeah, but, but even at the, there's lots of talk at the at lower wage roles hmm. when you've got labour or the cashiers, or cleaning, 
or fast truck food. driving or fast food and yeah. you know things of that nature are probably the ones where automation can cause the most disruption mm. which then puts a lot of people in a very tight situation who are in those fields yeah and so, i think that this is where government steps in and says well we need to skill you up to be able to go for other roles to be able to adapt to this new change yeah yeah so and and that that brings me on to a, to another point here. So and this look this is very casual internet research guys. So <laughs> um don't fact check too hard, but it just gives you an indication of what's going on. And we've seen like I've seen this stat particularly come up time and time again, but one in two people need to reskill to be able to adapt with these changes in automation and technology growth. And some of the emerging roles that are becoming more prevalent as a result of this technological change is in engineers, AI specialists, digital marketing specialists, talent acquisition specialists, and customer success specialists. And I remember you asked, like, what's a customer success specialist? And that's just a fancy way, a of, fancy saying way customer of saying customer service, service but <laughs> more from a support in, in technology standpoint. Yeah. You know, these are the type of individuals I deal with a lot from running an internet company because um, we rely on a lot of tools and software to do what we do. And if I ever need support, then, you know, I might jump on a chat with them and they've got great customer service skills, but also have a very strong tech foundation to be able to troubleshoot and problem solve uh, the situation as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are not necessarily new roles, but there's going to be more focus on these roles moving forward. So that's very interesting. Um, Let's take it to, to current time. So automation is one thing that's going to influence the way we view work in the future. But now we have this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, how would we explain what's happened? What, what a lot of ec- economists are calling as the great resignation is people leaving the workforce force in droves at the moment. And the pandemic hit, what, uh, April, May last year. It really started to pick up steam in 2020. March. March, yeah, March, yep. March April. Uh, we've gone into lockdowns and a lot of companies have had to send their employees home. And some people, a lot of people lost jobs as a result of this. A lot of people have gone into welfare as a result of this. And a lot of people have been forced to go into remote work. You know, uh, work from home was an option before, but it's really become the norm in a lot of instances as well. It's not now just, you know, if you are looking after a sick parent or a sick child or you've just had a baby but you want to still work but you want to work from home like it's not just in special circumstances that a lot of people get that exemption from showing up to their physical job now it's kind of most people that have an office job were forced to do it and now I think a lot of people are questioning whether or not they actually want to go back to that absolutely and and as a result, in, in April this year, April 2021, a record 4 million people quit their jobs, uh, which is the highest number in 20 years. So um, now I think that statistic is in the US yeah, specifically. So obviously, it's, it's going to be a much larger number when you look at the global movement there. But I mean, wow. Like, mm. what do you think of that? Like, why do you think that is? I think because a lot of people are creatures of habit, right? And they don't like change. So when something like this happens and you're forced into change, whether or not you like it, and considering that everything was shaken up so much and I think people had the opportunity to really step back and go, hang on a second, am I happy in my job? What I show up to out of all the hours that I have in my week that's where I spent the most time at, if you're full-time. And I think a lot of people started questioning, well, am I happy there? And I think there's also a lot of people that weren't happy that were like, this is my sign to change. This is my my sign to to do something different with my life and to get out of the rat race or to take that leap and try something different. So I think a lot of people just started questioning what they wanted to do with their lives, whether or not they wanted to stay in the same role, whether or not they wanted to change industries altogether, 
whether or not they wanted to work from home longer term. I think there's a lot of places that are sort of trying to get their stuff back into the office as things kind of go back to this new normal. But they're struggling, I think, because a lot of people are like, no, I'm actually quite happy working from home. Depending on who you are, you might need that socialization. You might want to go and be surrounded by people, but I think it's more leaning towards people want that flexibility. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of statistics floating around the internet and from different surveys, but I think around 50% of respondents are saying that they prefer to work from home. And um, ironically, well, not not so ironically when you think of it, um, you've got the baby boomer generation in living in very established larger homes in suburban areas who are actually quite happy with this lifestyle change, you know, spending most of their careers in an office and being able to work from home Mm. is a great welcome change. Whilst a lot of younger people cooped up in these small studio apartments are going crazy and actually want to go back to the workplace. because they're in this city that needs to be closer to their job. Correct, correct. So now we're seeing, even in the property market, people are moving further out into the suburbs, Mm -hmm. trying to lower their costs of living. We're not spending as much money on clothes or trying to look good because we're not going into an office anymore. We're not spending as much time eating out. We're cooking more at home as well. We're not traveling around the world at the moment. Um, So, you know, all of this money is kind of being reinvested into property in suburban areas. You know, there's huge spikes in, in, in capital invested in renovations for the house too. Yeah. To, you know, make, accommodate to for, accommodate for home, home offices and so there's all these shifts that are happening. Um and people now have choice. Ironically, with this mass exodus of the employment market, now employers are fighting for the best talent across the whole world <laughs> yeah. uh, in this new remote economy. And people are being really choosy about what that looks like for them. Because I mean, look, let's take Let's bring our own story into this because, you know, since about 2013, 2014, I know for me personally, I was heavily influenced by people like Corbett Barr and Chris Gillibo and Leo Babauta. Um, you know, these people are um, well-known names in what type of information I consume about digital nomads and remote work and internet marketing, but you, if you're listening to this, you probably haven't heard of these people before. But these guys were talking about a life where you don't have to necessarily wait, uh, wait till retirement to start enjoying some level of freedom in your life. Mm. You could be in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s and find ways to earn an income online, whether it's through services or selling products or whatever it is, but also enjoy the benefits of being able to work from anywhere in the world, being able to work um, if you're living happy to ha- uh, live in a country with a very strong currency, you can take that trade off and go into a country where the currency is not as strong and lower your cost of living significantly. Hence is why you see so many digital nomads in Bali and Thailand and coming in from Australia and the US and markets all around the world to those pockets. So you know, they're talking about this independent living, this lifestyle by design and all of these buzzwords. And it was really attractive to me specifically. And when I shared it with you, it seemed to be something you're interested in as well. But, you know, having that flexibility to not be on such a strict schedule of, you know, your lunch break is at this time, or you've got a meeting with your manager tomorrow to make sure you meet this deadline. I mean, sure, you can still have that in a a remote working sense, but particularly if you had liberty to earn money in the way that was completely in your own terms, you can have that autonomy and you can have that flexibility to travel everywhere and you can experience some of those benefits of retirement a little bit earlier Mm. at the same time. So that led us on this journey and we've got a very long detailed episode about our blogging journey which we'll share in the show notes i think it's episode 37 from memory um so you can listen to that to get the details there but that was a heavy influence for the decisions we started to make and you know i wouldn't say that we were the type of people that were greatly discontent with you know having a traditional job 
I mean, speak for yourself. Yeah, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe yourself. Maybe you. Um, more, but for me, I had great jobs, you know, that I really enjoyed. But I didn't need a pandemic to make that decision. to to take force me to take a step back to make that decision. It was like we, I think we naturally just asked those questions without being prompted, so we started that journey. But I mean, we also need to take note that we were in a very privileged situation where we have no children, we have no commitments, we don't yep. have a mortgage. Like we could make those calls if we wanted to, yep. without too much of a financial issue. I mean, we've we've always lived very frugally. Like, let's not get that wrong. That mm. we have a lifestyle where we you know need a large income we still don't Mm. because of the way that we live and what we choose to spend our money on but I think it's interesting that as I mentioned earlier that a lot of people didn't have I'll say they didn't have the guts or they didn't have the courage or capacity or the (laughs) capacity yeah yeah to question those things and really do something about it, you know? And I think it's important to acknowledge that something like this has really triggered that for them. And with, you know, so much fear around, will I get uh, the virus? Will my family and friends be healthy? Like there's a lot of that realization well life's too short like what happens if I pass away in six months time or a year's time or two years time I think a lot of people build their lives for the future they don't think about the immediate um, happiness that their work and their lifestyle brings them yeah so I think that that kind of shook things up in a way that it hasn't before yeah um, but and what are cards now laid out on the table? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, well, you're not the only one that's thinking that way, obviously, based on the stats that Michael has been sharing. And it's also estimated that a billion digital nomads will be around by the year 2035. Mm. So it's interesting to see that something that people have really struggled with even just to understand when we try and explain like we're not digital nomads at you know yeah like we're kind of in between we do travel but we don't like we do like to have a home base as well but i don't know where where we're going to be in 12 months time yeah you know so for us it's kind of like and and just to break it down for people like a digital nomad in that sense is normally people who take very short vacation visas across different countries yeah like three months at a time yeah um, or even shorter like even that's shorter. sort of normally the longest that you can yeah. stay in a country yeah that's it and and they uh they go from country to country whilst working remotely yeah and um so but and they, that, they effectively live out of their suitcase yeah, yeah. see that to me sounds super stressful and yeah. then like not knowing where I'm going to be in a month's time Mm. is very different to not knowing where I'm going to be in 12 months time. Yes. You know, so that you can actually continue to focus on the work that you do and you can still plan for things. Like I know that we're going to be doing this work, but where we will physically be is going to be a little bit different potentially. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's interesting to see that that's the, you know, and then it's also creating ecosystems to support that. If that's the prediction and that's the way that people are going and they want more work that's satisfying, companies are going to have to... Hold that thought, hold that thought. Because we want to get into that. I love where you're going. We're going to get into that in some of the, the ways we're going to apply that this process a bit later on. But you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of infrastructures and there's a lot of stuff to discuss around potential even investment opportunities with this big reshuffle that's happening at the moment. But I'm excited. I'm excited for for a lot of people. I think it's in what has been a couple years of a lot of anxiety and fear and stress. The silver lining in this, in this is that we have space now. Mm. We have mental space to go, what's important? Like, do I what- want to be in the middle of the city in a tiny apartment working a job that's super demanding where I get hardly any social life. I want to spend more time leisure. with my family, flexibility to be there for the moments with my kids or, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Or just being healthy. At yeah. the end of the day, I think a lot of people are reassessing what life looks like and what longevity looks like for them. Yep. 
And it's interesting, like there was another stat where it was talking about a lot of tech companies that are announcing plans to have fully remote work from now on. So they're kind of almost closing their offices, their headquarters, Mm. because like why bother paying rent when you can, through this pandemic, you've been forced to work around it and and have workers work remotely. Mm. And if that's working really well, I honestly, if I was the business owner, I wouldn't want to be paying lots of rent or on all a your overheads, all your overheads that come with a office space. Yeah, yeah, to to accommodate for that. So, in consequence, like for instance, the median price of a one bedroom rental in San Francisco dropped twenty four point two percent compared to a year ago. And while in New York City, which is roughly twenty eight thousand residents in every square mile. At the start of 2020, 15,000 rental apartments were empty in September, the most vacancies that there were ever recorded. So I feel like a lot of people, as we mentioned before, are like moving out because they don't have to commute to work. Mm. They can live on a cheaper property, a bigger property, or have moved back home so that they can save the money so that they can invest that later on into something that they really want if they want to build a tiny house for instance and what i'm thinking though is that like you're seeing a lot of places like in australia property prices like big houses are selling well above their asking price because people are just going insane they have the money because they're not going on vacations they're not spent like what you were saying before they're not spending it on food eating out clothes all of this stuff they can invest more into the property because they're working from home and yet all of these vacancies in the city. So that's dropping the prices. Like in Melbourne, I think 400,000 people left the state last year alone. Right. And so it's interesting to see like how that, and I think there's so many vacant properties that people are getting much cheaper rent in the middle of the city than they would have, let's say, two years ago. So bigger properties that are further out that were cheaper are now going for higher prices, whereas the one, the apartments in the city, sort of kind of in some ways level out so that Mm. it just depends on your lifestyle choice moving forward. It's choice. Yeah. This is this is the, the, the beautiful thing. And I mean, for those fortunate to have the choice, for those who have the skills to to be able to take advantage of this new era, right? Um, There's a lot of people that are still, you know, struggling and can't make ends meet even in their current situation, let alone wanting to change it and, and do what they want, which is completely understandable. But there's one other point that I wanted to make that came to mind just before is it'll be interesting to see what real estate looks like in five to 10 years time. Like when you go and inspect a house, okay, and here is the bedrooms and this is the home office. You know, like, well, most homes have a full-blown home office and is that going to be a much bigger selling proposition and the way that the home is configured based on how things are going to be moving forward for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of places do already, yeah, but I think yeah. it's going to be even more... Pro- I think I think we've experienced forward. that a few times, haven't we? Like even when we're looking for where, you know, we're going to rent here in, in Tasmania, it was like on our shopping list. It's like when you have a mindset of like, I'm going to be spending so much time mm. in this property, mm. you just have a very different set of requirements all of a sudden. But you're right, you know, yeah. or like... Before it was two living spaces and an ensuite, which is probably still very important to a lot of people, particularly families. But now it's like, where's the office? Yeah. Where's the office opportunity here? What's the light like in here? What's the <laughs> for my Zoom calls? Am I going to get natural light, or um, is there a window for me to look out here as I'm, you know, si- sipping on my tea and doing work in the afternoon? So it's like, absolutely, it's 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 shifting. I mean. You know, if your kids have to do homeschool, like, yeah, you know, where are they going to do that? It's it's mm. crazy having multiple functional spaces for yeah. for all that stuff. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. So we've just sort of splattered out a lot of <laughs> random numbers at you, but I think when it all comes down to it, we're not, you know, we're not economists, but I think it's important for us. We've just I think we're just quite quite interested in this anyway. I think it's just an interesting topic. But I think what why it ties into in particular minimalism is that again, it just brings it back to that to that concept of intentionality. 
this is the time. If, if you want to reimagine your life, like now's a really good time to do that because you may have more choice than you think about how you can earn yourself a living. Um, that what ties your in, are. yeah, and that ties into a broader picture of how you see your life. Mm. You know what's important to you, whether it's spending time with family, spending more time in nature, being more healthy. You know, doing things you're more passionate about, more interested in. Mm. You know, you can lower your cost of living, perhaps, to be able to do that as well. So this is a really exciting time. We're trying to be positive in a situation that has been quite negative for a lot of us so yeah and i think there's a lot of companies that you might think oh well there's never any opportunities there's probably more opportunities now than ever to look at those jobs and look at those opportunities because there might be vacancies considering that so many people are reshuffling yeah so i think that's another thing to keep in mind it's interesting we did watch one video where this woman that was working for i think she was in tech Mm. So she moved out of her San Fran office and moved in to live with her parents. And she was working in her childhood bedroom. And she was working longer hours than she was when she used to go into the office. Super stressed, felt really depressed. For her, it was this sense of like, well, I need to work hard because I need to show the team and my boss that I'm valuable and that, you know, that they can keep me around. And like I'm not, slacking, I'm not slacking off at home, yeah. Yeah, so I think it can be the complete opposite to a lot of people where it's like they do enjoy their work, but then they're also scared that they might lose their job. Yeah, and the if, other thing as well is that like if you're in lockdown, there's nothing to do. Mm. So for some people, they're actually just working more because they may as well. Yeah. You know, because they've actually... <laughs> They're, they're like, the capacity. yeah, may as well further my career. Mm. And then meanwhile, you're, you're just literally pinned to the computer mm. 70 hours a week. Yeah. There's so many different scenarios in, in how this can all... And we're mainly talking, obviously, office jobs. You know, yep. like there's a lot of other jobs out there that we touched on before. A lot of labor type jobs. So pretty much everything that's not in an office, mm. where that it can be either automated or it can be assisted by automation. Even a lot of retailers are going on purely online because it's just these constant on and off lockdowns, which is still happening here in Australia. They would rather build something that they can have as much control over as possible than invest in an actual retail space. Yeah, which which raises, you know, th- there are some concerns around that, you know what I mean? Like mm. we're already in a digital age and world and, and the pandemic has certainly fast-tracked that. But it is a bit strange though, isn't it? Ordering food and goods that didn't deliver to your doorstep, you're banging away on your computer all day and like it's very it sounds um, very isolated yeah and, and that the retail the retail narrative has been there for many many decades like retail is dead but it, i mean it's really <laughs> it's really being questioned and 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 challenged through this pandemic and I mind don't you locally there are some shops that are thriving now Absolutely. more than ever yeah, so it yeah. just really depends in what industry you're in and how well you've positioned your product and and how relevant it is to the time right now yeah. and also you know like we've been very lucky we haven't been in lockdown since yeah this all sort of started touch wood so out of most people in living in australia and even globally we've been some of the luckiest mm. so i think for us it's and this is why i say like we live in a little bit of a bubble because we're not seeing that and again we're work online so for us it was like we in some ways already future-proofed our business, you know? Yeah. So... But let's talk about that more because there is still some things for us to consider. Yeah. And, and now we're just going to talk about our own personal approach and more like a bit of planning that we haven't formally talked about this, but we thought it would be a good opportunity to think about... Michael wants to get it on record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what we need to be prepared for in our relationship and and what this future of work looks like and maybe you can as a listener you can get a little bit out of this or have your own reflection and moment of pause to think about what that might look like for you as well um so are you ready to get into it yep so the first point don't plan too far ahead since all of this stuff has happened 
it's become really hard for me to visualize future mm. too far in ahead. Like I just can't, I don't know if you guys listening to this feel the same way, but it's, it, I find it very hard to imagine what things might look like. Yeah. And obviously that, that, there's a lot of uncertainty that feeds into that. But I also think it's not such a bad thing because I think the risk is I don't want to get too fixated on a goal or an outcome when things are changing so rapidly, so rapidly at the moment. Yeah. So I want to adopt a mindset of flexibility and adaptability and almost reacting to what's happening around us than trying to get too stuck mm. in a, on a path. I mean, there is a counter argument to that to say, like, I think it's important to plan, yeah. but then to also be fluid if those plans can't come to fruition. Yeah. You know, so I think there is a good uh, balance that you can have there between those two and not completely one or the other. Um, so that you do kind of feel like you are moving forward and that you are making decisions that aren't just in front of you. Yeah. So, I mean, out of all people, it's funny that that's coming from me because I hate really planning too far ahead. And But I've, from knowing us in the past, every time we've planned things or we've talked about we'll do this, like half the time it doesn't even happen. Mm. So I think even just with the way that everything is right now, it's making that even like less of an less of a chance that it, it will happen. So like we can plan for let's say what our next project's going to be or if we're going to tackle something new or if you know something that's probably let's say 3 to 6 months max like yeah. 6 is really stretching it. Yeah. Um and it's also it's unlikely that external factors are going to change the outcome of that project. Like let's say we want to publish a book or um, we want to be on a new platform, whatever it is that we want to do for The Minimalist Vegan, it's unlikely that in three to six months anything is going to happen to derail that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it's just kind of keeping things front of mind and just working on the task at hand in in yep. in some ways. So Cool. Yeah, what's your next point? Budget, time and money for upskilling. So what do you mean by upskilling? I fear that if you're in a camp of saying that I am resisting change, I'm resisting getting new skills or this technology stuff is too hard, I think with the way things are going with the skills that are becoming more in demand, that poses a huge risk. You just don't know when the next tool is going to come into play and take over that skill. I have a skill in in writing, but more so around SEO, and I don't want to bore our audience, but you know, in, in having an ability to put an article that ranks high up in the search engine. So when you Google something, when you Google is honey vegan or I don't know, one of your recipes that we rank higher and, you know, some of our audience are bloggers and understand this world, but that's a very kind of technical skill to have. But on top of that, there's a tool called conversion.ai that is basically a computer that is doing, that is writing blog posts and is doing copywriting. Yeah, but it's crap. It's crap at the moment, but so was Siri or uh, what's the Google Voice or whatever it's called. They're not going to be like, like they're not going to be able to replace emotive writing. This is where I feel like robots have a long way to go in that way. Yes, but it's um it's this collaborative approach to to creating that's that's happening, right? So it's not so much about saying that oh, what's the likelihood of technology taking over my skill set. It's more being willing to be aware and to try these new tools so you can understand how your skills are different from the technology, how they mm. add value, or even how you can start using the tools yourself to improve your skill set and your value to your clients or whoever it is. 
And I think you can only do that if you're willing to invest time and money into, you know, short courses. Like there's platforms like Udemy where, you know, you can get a course from as cheap as $20 all the way up to a few hundred dollars from all technical fields in copywriting, coding, design, web development. You can even learn cooking. You can learn pattern making. You can learn so many different things on there. And some of these courses are three hours long or they're like 40 hours long. But like a workplace is now more than ever having to invest in their employees by giving them training, allocating time and budget. I think even individuals need to do that. And I want to be that individual that's constantly being aware of the landscape of my industry and skilling up in that to make sure that you're staying ahead of the curve. Because I think if you get complacent, you're dead. Like that's just the reality. Like if, if, if you just put your blinkers on and say like, I'm good, that's, that's a huge risk now. So I just get concerned that sometimes when it comes to technology, it's forcing people to do things that they don't think is the right thing to do moving forward. Because I think human beings need to be, we need to stick together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Over, it's amazing it's how much resistance you have now. Yeah. No, but like it's interesting how then though humans are creating these robots, this AI to do these things. But why are you trying to fix something that's not broken? No, you're trying to improve efficiency. Yeah, but why does everything need to be so efficient where you need to have technology making something faster? Like a lot of people are trying to slow down. And I think it's important to be able to to do certain things without feeling like I need to be efficient at this. And if I'm not efficient at this, a robot's going to take over my job. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's more like a lawyer who is leveraging technology and AI to find specific legislation and cases to reference in their case study rather than them having to find it because the AI is much more efficient at doing it. So then the lawyer has freed up their time to be more people-facing, to spend more time with their clients and to make those judgment calls, exercise empathy, to do all the things that a computer can't do. But all of a sudden, they have freed up their time through technology. However, it has pushed out maybe the paralegals and the apprentice, uh, the trainees and the, and the graduates who normally do that type of work to support the big shot lawyers and to, learn. and to learn from them. But perhaps now they are learning directly from the human interaction and leveraging the AI. Does that make sense? It's not mm. so much that, yes, the paralegal can look at the AI and say, hey, that thing is taking over my job. Just like I looked at this writing AI and like, whoa, okay, is this thing going to be writing blog posts better than me? Like, am I competing with this robot? But then when I used it, I'm like, oh no, this thing has got a long way to go, but I can see how I could integrate it into my workflow to make it more efficient. I haven't, I couldn't be bothered yet, but I'm still going to be open to that idea. And I think that's the shift. It's a shift from drawing a line and saying that, you know, the robots are over there and we're over here. And it's finding out how it can work together to deliver a better outcome. Do you feel that my job is obsolete once technology is more and more implemented into our everyday lives? Like in our in our well, I I don't know. Jobs. I don't know, and I think that's the thing is like, rather than thinking too far ahead in the future, it's just more developing a mindset of being ready. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because if you think about even in the work we do, just how much change there is. Yeah, and and you've even voiced some concerns around that. It's like constantly, you know, and you go into these blogging Facebook groups, and it's just like I signed up to just bloody do recipes. I didn't sign up to be like some technical wizard, Mm. you know, having to worry about how quickly my page loads. Mm. Otherwise, I'll get penalized by Google if I don't do it. Mm. Like I didn't sign up for this. Mm. So there's a lot of that going on. And and I think it's it speaks more broadly to what's happening in the larger job market of, you know, when I used to work in office environment and there was change, technological change, there was a lot of pushback because people wanted to maintain the status quo that was their comfort zone and all i'm saying is that as uncomfortable as it is we need to continue to budget time and money for this upskilling across all mediums 
because I think the impacts are going to be more drastic than what they were before. Yeah. That's all. Next point, saving money for investments. So a lot of people think this way, try and save money for future investments. But what I think is interesting about this point is in all this change, like surely there's going to be a lot of new emerging markets to invest in even. So and that's why you added it in. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, obviously we're seeing a huge shift from physical retail to e-commerce and and people getting a lot more deliveries at home. But like let's say 50% of the office workforce becomes remote, at least 50% or at least a hybrid model of sometime at home, sometime in the office. Okay, what does that mean for like cleaning services at home? nannies a chef a tutor what does it mean for at-home services is that potentially an opportunity for people to invest either new skills or invest money or see that there's a a potential gap in the market for that we're seeing it a lot now with these this co-working space do you want to talk on that because i know you wanted to bring that up before but like what does a working space look like moving forward yeah, so there is, we, we watched a video on how there's a co- co-working spaces popping up, I think it was in Rome, where you have a building and it's kind of like going back to the days of being in like a college dorm and then you have your own room, but I imagine that these adults probably have more than just a room, they might have one bedroom with a little kitchenette and a bathroom. And then downstairs is a communal working office and then they have a kitchen, they have like a really big lounge room and to be able to be social and to have that sense of community and belonging while they're renting out that space. So this is more targeted at digital nomads that travel. So they have really good strong Wi-Fi, they don't have to bother going to different cafes, they can have reliable resources at their fingertips and I think a lot of people like that aspect of meeting like-minded people from different walks of life while they're in that space. So I think that's a really interesting way of looking at accommodation moving forward and there could probably be like a spin-off Airbnb just off those types of Mm accommodations in the future and I think it would be really interesting opportunity to invest into buildings to to turn them into this type of yeah accommodation for people in the future especially if we're talking about a billion of them by the year 2035 so I think it's really cool it's interesting and um yeah and I know like you know for for us um, being at home workers for a couple of years now, I know one of the the challenges for me in focus is like um, constantly moving around. Hmm. Even though we have an office at home, it's not we don't actually spend that much time in the office. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like so we do for the podcast. Yes, but outside of that, I'm hardly ever down here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, I wonder if there's opportunities like to invest in innovative businesses that are going to solve this co-working space in a new way, or or maybe cafes are going to start selling that part of like you know maybe that they start upsizing their cafes to accommodate workers so they so, have so they like spend more time the front of it is like your normal customer base and then the back you've got this big t- round table or this big table yeah where people can just come and do work so that it's kind of like semi-separate but they're still there to obviously get a drink and buy food yeah. if they want but they don't suffocate the front part of the cafe by being there for hours so they can still get those people in, but the foot traffic can keep moving in the front end of their cafe. Absolutely. So it's like all of this change, it's like, wow, I mean, I just want to, I think like let's just save up money and, and see if there is maybe even some business opportunities there because um, there's going to be a lot of new ways of doing things yeah you know it's good good anyway to save money but just keeping an eye out for what those opportunities may look like as they emerge so the next point 
double down on digital services. So this is probably more specifically for me than it is for you, although it might shift for you as well. I've started to do freelance writing for clients now, um, you know, for business and marketing, like tech companies, writing some articles for them, expanding that skill set. And, um, and as I'm doing this and I'm, you know, I'm just doing this, uh, uh, together with still running the minimalist vegan and you're primarily doing that, but the clients that I've met and spoken to and, and seen some of the job postings of what people are acquiring, it's, um, it's, it's, it's become clear to me. And look, I think an example, this example will paint a good picture. So when in April, 2020, when COVID was really ramping up and there was lockdowns all around the world, a freelance writer who normally makes like ten to $12,000 a month doing copywriting for various people around the world through Fiverr, fiverr.com of all places, where it's like seen as like a fairly affordable platform to get random gigs for digital services. This girl does quite well. Anyway, in April 2020, when lockdown happened, she had her biggest month ever of $36,000. And it kind of... USD. Yeah, USD. But it hasn't... It's tapered off a little bit, but it's up... Her level of her business has gone up drastically. And when I look at these... This gig economy or digital services, it's its very clear. I'm seeing a pattern that a lot of these companies which are going remote... Well, first of all, a lot of people who are being laid off or reconsidering their career paths, some of them are actually starting businesses and require support. And a lot of small businesses, like we've done this, like over the years, we've hired contractors to fulfill certain roles, like, you know, programming our website or whatever. And we're seeing a lot more activity in that realm. But also even big companies are saving costs by moving away from an employee structure to a contractor structure. Yeah. So they're reaching out to more people in specialized fields that can just fulfill a, a very a, a project or a very yeah. specific role. Um, and it's a lot more efficient. You know, they don't need to worry about... Uh, first of all, they can hire anyone around the world very quickly. They don't have to worry about payroll and 401k, superannuation, all of that stuff, healthcare, insurance that comes with it. And they're getting delivered a service. So for me, like, I think, honestly, this is the way of the future. It's been emerging. It's been growing for a long time. But I, I'm i actually very keen to double down in that area to not only develop new skills and portfolio, but also to stay very connected to any shifts in the market as well and what new services that we could offer in the future if we needed to because we're seeing more demand. Like, for example, the cannabis industry is exploding. So there's a whole bunch of people selling cannabis and cannabis accessories, whatever you want to call them, um, through e-commerce platforms and are looking for cohorts of contract teams, developers, designers, writers, customer success people, um, customer service people. (laughs) You're already uh, (laughs) gone. customer service people to to help support the cannabis movement you know what i mean like there's emerging stuff happening in these little pockets yeah and only if you're you know connected to these digital services you'll start to see these opportunities so for me um it's certainly a strategy to double down in that area cool anything you want to add to that no i'm just doing same old (laughs) (laughs) you can really tell our personalities yeah (laughs) yeah, michael's trying to skill up i'm just Trying to stay afloat. <laughs> but meanwhile, I mean, you get opportunities as well because of, you know, your photography and recipe creation to get paid for your services to help out publications. So it happens. But I think for me, I'm just, I'm more seeking it. You're more waiting for it to come to you. I think because you're such a go-getter in life, like you enjoy this type of work. So you're not doing it because you have to. Yeah. You're doing it because you actually really enjoy it. That's true. So, yep. yeah. We're very lucky that way. Yeah, it's good balance. Um, and the last point is what we've already touched on, but it's worth uh, reiterating, is being willing to work with the robots. You can do that. Not seeing them as, <laughs> not seeing them as the enemy <laughs> until, until, think, <laughs> until they take over. <laughs> this until is they the, start talking back. And <laughs> this is the thing. This is, and I think as soon as you say the word robot, I think of that 
can actually mean a very negative connotation yeah. to a lot of people. But if you say even AI to an extent has that because I think we just don't know what the future holds and what that's going to look like. So I think it's constantly going to be pushing boundaries. Because it's unknown. Exactly. Yeah. So, But I think if you say sort of working with technology, I think oh, that's a much more approachable okay. kind of friendly way to, to say it. Yeah. And to look at it. Yeah, that's true. Because not everyone's going to be working with robots or with AI. Again, I think we kind of have to get that out of our heads that, yes, there's it's going to impact us. Yeah. But it doesn't have to necessarily impact us to the point where it's like you have to change your lifestyle to adapt to it. Don't you though? Well, like, because I think <laughs> there's more and more people that are also wanting to be self-sufficient, you know, to go off grid and to do all of that sort of stuff. So those people definitely are trying to go against that grain. Yeah, but that's a very small fraction of the population. I'm just saying that I like... I mean, it's definitely growing. Yeah, but I just, again, I think it's just... Um, like, for example, Uber. Okay, mm. I'm a taxi driver. Uber launches. You're like, cool story, bro. I'm a taxi driver. Six months later, okay, I'm losing business as a result of this. Meanwhile, the taxi driver who maybe was willing to work with the technology was able to adapt to that shift. You know what I mean? Like It might not be as black and white though as no, you no, think. No, it's never black and white, but I think a willingness to work, let's use that, I think you've reframed it in a much more approachable way. Be willing to work with technology for sure um, is is definitely something that, you know, I'm going to continue to do because like even now, like this podcast, this editing in this podcast, which we've been talking for a long time now, which <laughs> will normally make me very nervous. Um, but I've found a new tool that will allow me to edit a podcast in half the time because it transcribes all the audio into text. Are people's eyes glazing over as I talk about technology, probably. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it turns all the audio into text and you can edit your podcast like you would a text document, like a Word document or a Google Doc. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but editing text is much faster much more efficient than editing audio. So you've literally half half the time, and like time. we're about to get somebody, we're about to outsource to an agency to help to um, edit the podcast to save us some time. And they actually reached back out, and they're like, "Oh, so how's everything going?" I'm like, "We're good. Like, we've effectively replaced you yeah, with technology." <laughs> and it's like <laughs> back to the point I'm talking about now. Is, so their business is going to be obsolete probably in a few years' time. Yeah, but I still need to invest time in using this tool. So if this agency... It's it, probably already using it. Maybe they're already using it or maybe they, they could use it mm. to then deliver an even faster turnaround or cheaper price. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's what I mean by working together with technology. So you can have a train of thought of like, oh, screw this tool, it's taken over my business. Or how about I use the tool and deliver a better, superior service and more things. And get, get more, more content done that Exactly way. right, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there's two ways to look at yeah. it. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyways, I'll always have resistance, <laughs> but I think, you know, like... There's, I think, baby steps, you know, yeah. when there's too much change and when certain things even are presented in movies and TV series that just make you go, oh, my God, like, is this what the future's going to look like? It's scary. You know, you don't, mm. you don't want that to be a reality. And I think a lot of people would feel that way. Yep. So, yeah. That's it. So, I think it's just get that robotic future out of your head because that's probably not going to be in this lifetime if it does happen. <laughs> Um, but I mean, never say never. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but step I just... One, step number one, don't look too far into the future. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> but I think yeah. it's just readjusting and reevaluating what technology looks like and how that can actually help to support what you do rather than, you know... Yeah, how can we... Take def- things away from you 100%. or, or and that's- make you feel like you're not getting like everything's turning and, into machines. And and this is hard, right? Because it's when you see the truck drivers being interviewed and like, okay, well, what if 
you know, you are replaced with a self-driving truck, there is a definite concern for those um, for, for those guys that they express because it's like, well, that's the only skill that they have. This is generational, you know. And this has gone four generations like, deep t- truck t- driving and they're all very passionate about this field. Yeah, they're like, they so, love their jobs. Yeah. A lot of them really love what they do. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, we follow a couple of travel vloggers and they sort of stopped at one of the I think it's the world's largest truck stop in the states I can't remember where it was but they were showing the types of services that they have there for the truck drivers but then also what their trucks look like how customized they are that they actually have a space to sleep in their truck and that it's decked out nicely and like they take a lot of pride in their yeah, trucks. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of bells and whistles inside, and it's all very customized to them. So, like, it's very interesting to go from someone that you think is sitting in a truck all day, every day. Like to me, that sounds like a really boring job, but to them, like everybody's different. So, something that I might enjoy might be really boring or not stimulating for somebody else. So, but I'm glad to see that there's a lot of passionate truck drivers out there. But the question remains, like, what happens? You know, like, is a truck driver supported by the government really expected to just learn how to code or something? (laughs) Or, like, for for skills of the future? No, no, I know, I know. There's always going to be a range of different skills, right? But it is something to consider. So, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. It, I, I just think it's a great opportunity to think about what that might look like. But it's probably more adopting... For me, I'm focusing on adopting a mindset to be able to adapt with whatever that is and then to see how it all shakes out. But it's... um, Yeah, it's all very interesting. Mm, yeah, I agree. All right. Shall we wrap it up there? Sounds good. <laughs> We've right, been guys. talking for a while. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for um, being patient with us to let us ramble on about and pontificate about the future of work. And we hope that all your planning around your work and how they integrate with your lifestyle, what's important to you is, is all coming together and that you're able to find opportunity wherever you are. Uh, lastly, I'd just like to say that, like, you know, you know, being someone with a West African heritage in Ghana, it's really exciting to see how the gig economy is also affecting folks over there as well. Uh, like I'm seeing a lot of Nigerians on these platforms offering um, the data entry, writing services and, you know, earning good US dollars at an hourly rate that translate really well to the local economy. So the fact that it's democratized services to an extent is actually really exciting as well. It's not just limited to a particular market local, or yeah, local. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're skilled, doesn't matter where you are in the world, there's an you opportunity. There's, yeah, you can, you can learn a skill. You can pick up a course on Udemy for $20 and apply that skill and earn some money. That to me is really exciting. Mm. That's a great enabler. So yeah. Um, anyway, we can go on and on. Let's wrap yes, it up. Yes, we can. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in another fortnight. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. <laughs>